get me a little burpy ball shooting in someone's mouth. Not a burpy ball in someone's mouth. Spooky season greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. This is going to be the best night of my life. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the super fly space guy, Mac. Next time a director's casting couch is a futon, I'm walking the other way. The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. So slow. So sticky. And the paranormal paramour, Binx. James Wan made a career on that shit, Dax. We're going to be all getting together for our first ever live show and meetup. And then the next night, we'll be having a blast with our community at Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando, Florida. Halloween Horror Nights is going to be such a party. We're really pumped about it. So we thought we'd actually kick off October by setting the mood and getting in the spirit with a film that paints the picture of the ultimate horror party. Right now, our members can access a Rewind episode on Hellfest, another 2018 film that takes the thrill of haunts and horror amusement parks and shows their darker side. Now, we're pairing Hellfest here with a film that follows a group of friends attending a festival which promises to be a celebration of iconic horror films and the fans that keep the genre alive. What seems to be a thrilling event soon unravels, though. When it's revealed, there's a little more horror than the attendees bargained for. Written and directed by Owen Egerton, this film carries a narrative that wields familiar tropes you know and love, uses them to question the very nature of horror fandom, and flips the script on what a celebration of the genre can be. This week, we're talking about Bloodfest. Who's seen this one before? Well, I'll start by saying I had not seen this one before, nor have I actually ever heard of this movie prior to watching it. I was familiar with some of the cast, though, right? You have Robbie Kay, who is Peter Pan in the show Once Upon a Time. He was, more importantly, the cabin boy from Pirates of the Caribbean. And you have Jacob Batalon, who was in some of those recent Spider-Man films, Avenger films, and Reginald the Vampire. So hadn't seen it, but definitely familiar with some of the actors in it. Yep, I noticed those two as well. I thought that it was interesting. I had never heard of this movie before either, and so I've never seen it. Don't remember when it came out. So when I finally watched it and I saw the two of them, I was like, the one from Spider-Man, I knew instantly because I love those movies. But the Peter Pan, when I saw him and I was like, man, he looks hella familiar. I had to look it up and I was like, oh shit. It's been a while since I've seen that show. I have not seen this movie, of course, but the the name just reminds me of so many other movies. So when I saw it on the list, I was like, wait, have we already covered this? And I think I was actually thinking of Hellfest when I was getting ready to watch this. But no, I, I did not watch this already. This was a new this was a new thing for me. Yeah, there's a reason we put these two together. I've never seen this one before, but I heard about it when it came up as a nomination when we first launched that perk on our Patreon. Now, my expectations were managed well based on the nomination we got for this by our longtime supporter, Britt, because she wrote, Just a good time. A go-to movie to introduce to friends for a laid-back, fun evening. It's ridiculous, definitely not an Oscar-worthy movie, but wild enough to keep my attention. So that paragraph is all that I knew about this, aside from also knowing it's like a huge party for horror movies. So going into this, I expected it to be good, but not great, funny, but not hilarious, and effective at giving me a good dose of horror. And looking at the cast, I was really more so expecting that camp, solid humor, great performances from Jacob, who you mentioned, and I've really come to adore him. 
Sure, very famous from the Spider-Man movies, but I am also loving him in Reginald the Vampire. Yeah. He's not getting enough love for that. Definitely. Well, it actually sounds like you had a good amount of expectations based on the little amounts that you heard about the movie. But here's the thing. So we obviously know that this is a horror comedy, and we all know how I feel about horror comedies. (laughs) It's not to say that they're all bad by any means, because I do like a good amount of them. But they just have to really be done right for it to work for me. There has to be a really good balance. You go too heavy with the comedy, then it's not going to feel horror enough. And if you lean too far into the horror direction, then it's just usually a bad horror movie. So I really don't know what to expect. I just have hopes that they're going to do it right. And we mentioned it earlier, but I went into this obviously thinking there were going to be some parallels to Hellfest just because of its name. But I really went into this blindly and I had no idea what the plot was. And you said that going into it, we would know it's a horror comedy. I must have missed that memo. I didn't even realize it was a comedy at all. I really had no clue what I was walking into. Not even the subgenres, nothing. So that being said, I still expected some cheesiness because, again, I only have Hellfest and maybe the cast a little bit once I saw the movie poster. I figured some all right writing, something that was light and fun. That's what I was hoping for at the very least because I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. And I've already seen one of its similar movies. So let's see how this one goes. Yeah, I didn't even watch a trailer or really read a synopsis before I hit play. And I tried to do that on purpose because if I haven't seen it and I don't know much about it, that's the perfect way to keep it as I'm going to jump in. So as I'm hitting play, I'm like trying not to read the synopsis glancing. I see something about festival and I'm like, okay, that's kind of in the name. You can take that for granted. And I see something about it changing. So there's this expectation that the people attending this festival have. And then I see something in the synopsis about that. They realize that their expectations are wrong. And I was like, okay, that's all I needed to see. And now let's hit play. So I really had no real idea of what was going to happen. I, I will say, well, I didn't really have kind of any expectations for this film. You know, I watched this with my wife and even she commented, this kind of feels like casual fare for horror fans. So not necessarily the kind of thing you would watch if you were new to horror, but like you're a fan of horror. This is kind of like a lighter watch. It's maybe you're sick and you need something to watch while you bounce back to health. This is like that kind of feel where it's like you said, it's not too serious. I didn't find it overly campy though, which was kind of nice. It's, it's landing in the middle. Listen, Standard fare, light fare is a really easy and and accurate way to describe this movie. But let me say that it was not without its eye roll moments. Eyes in the back of my head rolling so hard moments. It wasn't everywhere in the movie, but there were moments where I'm like, all right, get it. Horror movies run deep. And I fucking feel so hypocritical saying that. But some of the dialogue in this movie, some of the things that are in the background and some offices in this movie, it's just like, all right, we're really laying it on thick. So it seems almost like there are a lot of good ideas that were just thrown out there and they all landed on the wall and nobody had the care to just craft some of it out and shape it into a more refined product. At least that's the biggest feeling that I had walking out of this. But I will say, in spite of all that, I still had fun. Like, there are moments in here where I actually laughed out loud, and I have some gripes, I have some complaints, but my quotes list was hella long for this movie. Right? Yeah, it was very, very quotable. It was like the fucking Elder Scrolls. It was insane. (laughs) It's like some kind of biblical text with how lengthy this was. Crazy. Yeah. 
You mentioned some things that I think are are really accurate. I think they did some things that were really cool, like fanfare, awesome to see, but a lot of it did feel on really on the nose, really forced in some areas. To your point, Chris, like they had some good concepts, some good ideas, but what did they actually do with those? Was it just there to be there kind of thing? So I, I agree with you there, but I also agree with the feeling of just having fun and having kind of a laid back kind of good time. It had just so many things. Like I was feeling so many hints of so many different movies, which I'm sure we're going to dive into. But just to name a few, like hints of Cabin in the Woods, hints of Hellfest, maybe just about every slasher film out there. This movie is very meta. It's interesting. I think it's familiar is I guess what I felt because it's like so many of the references and things that you like catch on as a horror fan. Even if you're not even a massive horror fan, there's going to be a couple of things that you'll remember, you'll notice, right? I thought that the movie was very lighthearted. I found myself laughing. I found myself definitely loving the one-liners. And right off the bat, I think what I felt the most was this is kind of fun to be on a horror podcast watching a movie where they are singularly talking about the stereotypes of horror fans. So to your point earlier, Chris, where maybe it's too much, I think that's the point and I enjoyed it. Like, I wanted this to be just throw everything in there. Just cram it all in because that's really the point of it being so freaking meta. And one thing that kept coming to me was there's this like, TikTok trending sound or whatever. And it's a quote from the show Euphoria. And the line goes, is this fucking play about us? And that's literally what I thought when I was watching this movie. Nice. See, and listen, I know that we have so much more to say on this subject, but I think the delineation here is... I can feel those things in other meta horror movies. I'm thinking like Scream. I'm thinking about Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I'm thinking about Behind the Master Rise of Leslie Vernon. Anytime you make a movie about horror movies, it for sure is going to come with this wafting dose of familiar sensations, seeing yourself in here. And I do think what they had had potential, but I think the execution of it was mismanaged. Well, I can, I can tell you the other thing that was mismanaged here, and it was a disappointment for me. And that is that there's just not enough Zachary Levi. Like if you're going to use Zachary Levi, you better really use Zachary Levi. Mm -hmm. Okay. You said it as a disappointment and that was my surprise. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up or not. The way that my eyes almost fell out of my socket when I saw that he was in this movie as himself. Yeah. Look, I understand that he's in plenty of heat, but I love Chuck so much. I live and breathe Chuck. So I saw him there and I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. And it was really, really funny how they incorporated him in. So that was my surprise, your disappointment and my surprise. I want to kind of follow the trend there on the disappointment, though. Not with Zachary Levi at all. I was actually surprised that this movie felt like a combination of like poor f distribution of funds, like mismanaging the budget while being very close to executing well, but just slightly missing the mark when it comes to its characters. So I think I'm most disappointed in our main character, Dax, which sucks because like I liked him in Once Upon a Time. I know that he's a good actor. It was giving in a very different way. And I know this is a very dramatic example. Hayden Christensen is Anakin Skywalker who I absolutely loved. I think he did a great job, but he was misdirected by George Lucas. Like, that's just the reality of that situation. I went through this movie feeling like Dax was pretty bland, in spite of the fact that he's given, like, a whammy of a backstory in the very beginning. Yeah. 
again, not to discredit him, I just think it's the overall vision of the character. And we'll unpack that idea more in the spoiler zone, but I just went through this movie feeling like I was having a good time, but it's because I was watching the movie for the rest of the characters around him, which again, credit to them, they made it way more interesting. It's interesting because I think we're on maybe the same chapter, but a different page. I will first start off by saying I was surprised at just how many like nods and mentions to other horror movies there really was in the film. But once I did figure out what this movie was all about and its approach to the horror genre as a whole, like the meta of it all, I kind of figured we would get some nods or Easter eggs, but I wasn't really fully prepared for how much this film was about to dish out. But as far as disappointments go, I don't know if I have a specific issue with Dax as a character, but I was disappointed by how weak some of the performances were throughout the film and a large amount of them and maybe even how predictable everything really was throughout the film. I can definitely get behind predictability being a disappointment because part of the whole goal here is to not necessarily be predictable. Like, yeah, certain themes you're supposed to expect, but the whole story is not supposed to be something you necessarily like figure out. But to me, it felt like it was so incredibly obvious. Now, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong in terms of their intentions. If they didn't care about it being kind of hidden or secret, the whole arc of the story, then cool. They executed well. They didn't care about it and it didn't work out that way. But if they really thought like we're going to keep some secrets and we're going to give you a surprise, leave that to M. Night Shyamalan. I think the predictability isn't so much in the plot like you're saying. I think where it's unpredictable is what references they're going to make. At least that's what I gathered from the movie. The storyline, yeah, cut and paste, I think. But what was exciting and surprising and maybe unpredictable for me specifically was what movies are they going to kind of incorporate? What are they going to do? And that being said, I didn't find this movie frightening at all because once the Easter eggs are kind of laid out on the table and you see them kind of play out, you're not really scared by anything. You're just kind of amazed and like laughing or like, oh shit, along with the movie, I don't think anything was very scary. One thing that I would say, if we're going to like bring it down to earth a little bit in a real life scenario is when you watch the movie, you'll understand it a little bit more, but like not having your vape or anything like that or anything to relax in a scenario like this (laughs) or it being down would suck, certainly. It would be not a fun time. I think in general, I would not really make it through a scenario such as this. And I would definitely want something to calm me down a little bit. That's for sure. That would be the moment where like, nothing is chill about this situation. Everything is real bad. And I can agree with that. I think if you were to experience what happens in this movie, terrifying. Watching the movie, not a lick of it. Again, horror comedy, right? It's not about how much it scares you it's more about bringing you alongside putting its arm around your shoulder and say hey look over here let's make you laugh about it but i still think it could have benefited from a little bit more of like a sinister element to it throwing it back to behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon there's a moment in that movie where things get serious and you have these flashes of that like dark energy that flash of that holy shit there's actually some death happening here that's not the tone of this movie but i think just a little bit of that kind of seasoning would have made the comedy work even more than it does here Yeah, even just traditional jump scares would have added something to the mix even if we just went for like feelings of horror movies while we're watching this because i think we get gore we get scary things but we don't necessarily get like scares while you're watching it and it's interesting that you say that chris i I didn't really think about like would it be different on a heavier tone in that way if they approached it on a more 
almost a serious note in some areas and kind of balanced it out a little bit more in that regard. But yeah, this is a horror comedy that is a lot more on the comedy side. I don't know that it's like completely outweighed just because of how much of the horror genre is in there. But it's an interesting approach. I do think that their intentions were purely for you to have a good time. It's not really out here trying to really scare you. It feels like a fan film to me, just something fun for horror fans. And maybe that was their mindset going into this film. Even if you don't like horror or you're not well-versed in the horror cinema as a whole, I think you could still have fun with the film, but I don't think it'll hit the same. I can respect that. I think something that really sticks out to me, you're talking about, could it be better with something darker? Here's what I imagine in my mind. I imagine Parks and Rec. I'm imagining Andy and April put together. And that's the kind of energy I'm thinking about here, right? Give me just a little bit of like when Andy and April talk about having a Halloween party at their house and he's like, we're going to have so much fun. And she's like, people are going to die. Like that kind of comedy, I think would have worked really well here. Yeah. I mean, hey, this movie and Hellfest came out very similar time. I think they both take on this idea of bringing things that we've seen in horror before into a larger scale and credit where credit's due. It's not the most original thing you're ever going to see, but that's its intention, right? It's It wants to pull out the whole playbook and show it to you and have you make fun of it along with them. But I, I think it, it doesn't have to be original to still be fun. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think overall, the plot of this film has some originality to it. Despite it being predictable at times, it's still fun. It still feels like the story is their own approach. Even with like all the riddled things that they threw in there, like the film is filled with literally everything you have seen in pretty much every horror movie ever, at least like slashers, right? And I don't say that to really deter you, but rather to try and land the point that it's unique in the way that it tells its story while showing you everything that you have seen before. So it's really interesting when we talk about originality with this movie specifically. Specifically, because plot wise, I think there is some credit there, but it's almost like everything else you've seen before. It's just a weird mix of things. It's a weird mix of emotions when you're thinking about originality. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it, it is going to have so many nods to so many things that the point was never really to be original. And I kind of think I know what you're getting at in terms of like, there's certain tiny things about the movie that maybe are a little different, at least that I thought was a little unique, although predictable. I definitely think that there is just a lot to be said about how they managed to fit so many movies in here. And although maybe not a great thing to some, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know. It, it just seems like a little bit daring and maybe a little silly or sloppy to others to kind of incorporate so many fucking films, like so many of them. I think we've seen that kind of setup before with Cabin in the Woods. And so I think it's possible to have a ton of references and to keep it fun. And I think there, there's a different tone between these two types of movies, right? And Cabin in the Woods went for blockbuster. They went for big stars, like massive budget in a certain vibe. This film, not to say that they didn't try to get as much budget as they could, honestly, but like it didn't want to be 
a blockbuster for everyone. It it was very apparent that this was supposed to be, like Chris mentioned, a film that was arm around you, watching it with you, having fun along the way. And so we've seen other horror films or other horror comedy films that are like that in the same vein where it's like, hey, I like horror. You like horror. Let's uh, make fun of that a little, make fun of our mortality a little, like kind of get into it together just as a lighthearted time. And I think there is a unique kind of feeling here, even though we're referencing a bazillion other movies. Now, the tone of this film reminded me of some other films that I've seen, especially some more of the comedy-leaning horror films that you get like straight to streaming these days or in the last couple years in general. So yeah, I mean, I think it's got a familiar feeling to it. Obviously, stuff in the film is supposed to be referential, and that's well done. Like, yes, make it obvious what we're talking about here, even though you change the names of some stuff. And there's an antagonist here that is a reference to several other antagonists in real horror films, but not the same one. And I think that was actually a great way to go, because that gave you as a fan, like, I know the feeling that these characters are feeling, even though it's not my slasher. Mm. Mac, you said that so eloquently. And listen, I'm there with you a thousand percent of the way. There's a lot of movies that are packed into the DNA of this movie. There are moments where a character is quoting and listing off horror movies. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ask himself a question. I'm like, okay, well, you missed a, a glaring response here. But there is another movie that this reminded me of. Have you all seen a goofy movie? <laughs> We've all seen it, right? Of course. How? Yep, yep. How did it remind you? Listen. You know when Max's friend Bobby takes the can of cheese spray, sprays it in his hand, calls it the Leaning Tower of Cheesa, and then smashes it into his mouth? Yeah. That's the ending of this movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen, bro, the ending is fine, but it's real fucking cheesy. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's cheesy and it's acceptable because the rest of the movie mentally prepares you for that level of cheese. I do low-key hate it visually. I'm there, right? Like... We get some post-credits action, too, that I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, I'm a little exhausted by it. So it's cheesy, but you really need to make sure that you have enough tortilla chips to dip in it. It's just too much cheese. Wow. The cheese. Yeah, so I think that's definitely the point, and they were alluding to it. For sure, it's cheesy. For sure, it's cliche. It's abrupt. It's silly. It's 100% predictable, especially as it goes on. But for me... I didn't mind it at that point. It's almost like, I don't know what else I would have expected. So I'll take it, I guess. Okay, yeah. So here's the thing. like, It's not like there is anything with this ending that is a game-changing moment or hasn't been seen or done before or anything like that. It is cheesy. I get all that. And to your point, Binks, I didn't find myself super mad at it. It felt okay, but it wasn't great, right? It wasn't mind-blowing. It wasn't in my top endings of all time by any means. But Maybe it was just that catchy tune at the end. I really love that tune that I love, I love dead people. I love, I love dead people. It's not an actual song, come to find out. It was made for this movie, but I wish it was. Okay, I want to go back to the cheesy thing because I think there's a lot in this film that is campy. There's a couple of things that might be cheesy, but I think we switched from camp to cheesy at the very end, like hardcore switch. We, we toggled. We said no more camp. We're going full cheese. And I think it is probably the weakest part of the film. And it's kind of doing a disservice, I think, to the rest of the film, because I think the rest of the film was a lot stronger than the ending. And it almost seemed like 
is this how we should end it? Sure, let's just go for it. Like, it seems like it was perhaps in need of a little bit more thought about how to do it well and really how to kind of do the best with some characters that we had. I think the ending itself, story-wise, is what you expect. That's the entire movie. This is exactly what I was expecting. But the way we got it was not what I was expecting. And so that's where I was let down. It's like, yeah, this is from a plot point, what I thought would happen from literally, I think, the second scene in this entire movie. However, they kind of dropped the ball on a very main character's MO or maybe just their motivation or something. There, There was just something slightly off about the characters. And then the visuals, I think you mentioned it, Chris, it kind of crosses over into this doesn't match the rest of the film. And listen, it's the reality of the movie. In a lot of ways, it's giving mixed bag. And who knows, maybe our ratings will be a mixed bag. Maybe we'll be kinder than I expect. But for now, let's go ahead and make our way there. Sean, how would you describe the gore score for Bloodfest? Yeah, let's talk about it. I think this film is riddled with fun little tidbits of gore. There is enough here to satisfy most, if not all, horror fans without making it feel like it went too over the top, right? There's a lot of gory moments in the film, but it it still doesn't feel overkill in a way. They don't really let these gory moments linger for too long. I do think it gives you just enough to earn a solid high gore score. And what about the animal report? Surprisingly, no animals were harmed at Bloodfest. Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings. Bloodfest from 2018. Was it a hacker or a slash? This movie turned out to be a lot more enjoyable than I thought it would. It's silly. And it's funny that we keep bringing up camp. Maybe I really don't know what camp is after all. Oh, no. Not the oh, no. I, I just thought that it wasn't like extremely overtly campy. It was the kind of campy that I could laugh along with and not eye roll too much at, you know, and certainly not in a waste of my time type of way. I think it's definitely a fun watch to throw on to celebrate the cliches of being a horror fan and even it being a fun little niche meta watch. And we talked about the ending and I just want to say, listening to you guys talk about it, I think for me, realizing that, yeah, it's hella cheesy, but I personally, I love a garbage rom-com. I do watch Hallmark movies at Christmas time. Okay. So maybe this was a little bit of like a balance to the horrorness of it all with a little bit of, little bit of cheese. And I think that that's what made it really fun. I loved the one-liners. My quotes list for once in a good while was hefty and I thought it was fantastic. There were also some scenarios that I really, really enjoyed. I just think in general, this movie definitely caught me by surprise. One that I enjoyed, honestly, far more than its like-titled friend. So I'm definitely giving this one a slash. Yeah, I think this movie really wears its influences on its sleeves, right? But somehow, I feel like it doesn't do it in a super pretentious way. I feel like it's really a celebration of the horror genre as a whole, and that's what makes it kind of fun. There were just so many references, nods, Easter eggs, cameos, and parallels in this film that it was really hard to not just eat it all up and have a good time with it, despite its lack of any real talent on the acting side and the overly predictable storyline. Plus, I mean, let's be honest, any movie that starts out playing a classic with Bela Lugosi is going to be all right with me. So it's going to get a slash. And I know that a lot of people might think that they were watching Dracula, but that was actually White Zombie 1932. Kind of looks similar, but you got to pay attention to the slightly more prominent Widow's Peak, right? Those bushy eyebrows and that god-awful Fu Manchu. (laughs) 
also <laughs> that absolutely unmistakable shot of from the film with that close up on the face so good gotta love it i also love that you just brought up white zombie not too long ago i did and then this happened i know so it's weird you manifested it a little bit i did there's too much manifestation happening <laughs> i'm like still torn okay uh, this is like a 50 50 situation for me when i finished the film i literally out loud said so that was bad right I had to think about whether or not this was a good film because I think the ending sours so much of the experience, which is rather unfortunate because when I go back and I think about the rest of the movie and I kind of chop off the ending, I'm thinking, actually, I had a lot of fun while watching this. This is, like I mentioned, it's lighthearted. This is casual fare. This is a hang around the house, kind of throw on the TV. You don't have to think too hard. This is just something that you as a fan can enjoy. And I think it delivers all of that pretty well. Yes, the ending is the ending's bad. The ending's not great. And so just kind of don't worry about that. Sit down, enjoy the rest of the film. And I think you'll actually have a pretty good time. There's some low points, that's for sure. But it's like peppered with all of these small high points that make it a lot of fun. There's references to several different films and film franchises, which made me kind of perk up when I saw them on screen and saw them deliver actually on those references. It wasn't just a picture on the wall. It wasn't just a character lurking in the background, but it was actually, these things were used in kills. These things were used to like dress characters up in interesting costumes. They made use of their references in, in kind of a fun way. Yeah, there's some weakness when it comes to a couple characters, a couple plot points, whatever. Overall, I think I lean more towards 51% slash because generally the movie was just kind of a fun time. All right, listen, this movie is not great. It really just isn't. This movie is fun for sure. But I think I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that in the execution of camp, this movie does not consistently hit. This is not a solid example of just pure camp. This isn't a solid example of meta comedy that is done spectacularly. Now, fortunately for this movie, despite it not being great, it still manages to be fun. And I think it largely manages to be fun based on some of its casting decisions, based on some of its character work. And honestly, if different people were in this movie, it might have gone a different way. And maybe that's for the better and maybe that's for the worse. But I think the people in this movie, despite how lackluster some of the performances can be, actually redeem it quite a bit. I mean, Binks, you compare this to Hellfest. Hellfest, for me, is a way better movie than this. Like, this is fun, but Hellfest is a good movie. Like, it's, it's just a fun time. But this, this is giving B horror, and that's okay. I'm not going to beat it up for that. I was chatting with our patron Robbie earlier today, and we were talking about Chopping Mall. And man, I was thinking about like, I have a Chopping Mall pin on my bag, and I think I hacked that movie originally. Maybe I need to revisit it. Maybe I'm getting soft in my old age. Maybe it's better than I remember. And he said this great quote. He said, how many bad horror movies do we love just because they're fucking stupid? And listen, I would not say I love this movie, but I am carrying that energy into this rating and it's a fun slash. And with that, Bloodfest from 2018 has surprisingly to me, honestly, earned a universal slash. You can find this movie streaming online, so you can check the link in our show notes to see where you can find it right now. Then join us in the second half so we can dive into that Bloodfest together. We'll see you in a bit. Greetings, gore aficionados. Ever felt like your typical horror conventions were, let's say, a little bit too sanitary? Well, your dreams, or should I say nightmares, are about to come true. 
Introducing FlowFest 2024, where we make sure your horror cravings aren't just a monthly occurrence. That's right, we're talking about the only festival dedicated to the ultimate femme fatale of horror, Aunt Flo. Move over, Michael Myers. Aunt Flo has a cycle that never ends. She's not only punctual, showing up every month, but she's also got a killer instinct. Fancy a Bloody Mary? We've got you. How about a slip and slide that's more red tide than water park? Yeah, we have that too. Snap some selfies in our Crimson Wave photo booth where the moon is always blood red and your style is never cramped. Featuring special guests Typo Negative and Flow Rider, it'll pump you up and pump you out. You'll clot to the beat in our Blood Moon dance-offs and if you're feeling drained, well, we've got panel discussions all about the importance of iron. You'll soak up every word. Flow Fest 2024. For the only PMS we're talking about is premeditated murder spree. This is your chance to join the Red Brigade, where Gore and Flo are one and the same. So pad your calendar, tamp on those loose weekend plans, and secure your tickets now. Because FlowFest is going to be a bloody good time. Brought to you by FlowFest 2024, where the only thing scarier than going is not going. Period. Welcome back, folks. You're now entering the spoiler zone for Bloodfest from 2018, which has earned, shockingly, a universal slash. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through that Bloodfest. Yeah, well, let me start by saying, if you love slashers or enjoy watching horror films packed with like a plethora of gory kills, then this one probably won't disappoint, at least from that aspect. We have a total of... 56 kills in this one, 74 if you count the faux Valak nun kill count of 18 that was briefly brought to light on the monitor after she was ran over by the truck. There are plenty of juicy kills to slice into, so let's talk about them. What were your favorite kills? Well, you said her name, and naturally, I was like, oh boy, (laughs) they really want me to slash this, don't they? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, it looks nothing like her, obviously, but I know what they were trying to do, and I appreciated the fuck out of it. And the one-liner that goes with it, too, is hilarious. Oh, Forgive me, Father, because I'm about to fuck this nun up. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I almost thought that was going to be my favorite quote, too. I was really <laughs> undecided. Yeah, it's so good. Man, okay, I'm going to go for what I think was, a, honestly, a show-stopping moment. It was the guy who was insisting the blood was fake, then saying, oh, shit, then getting the fucking reverse hot dog slice with a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that fucking terrifier moment. So good. It only would have been made better had he actually been bound and tied up. But hey, no, that's okay. I'm so glad that you mentioned it because it's not my favorite kill because it's a hot dog style cut. And obviously, I'm not a big fan of those. It's such a bombastic moment. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And I would believe it more with a chainsaw than I would a freaking hacksaw. Okay. But that kill was so nuts. And they like very gory, like great job with the actual kill. Like if you're going to do a hot dog cut, that's how you actually do a hot dog cut. Can I also shout out another kill necessary? Lenjamin being dragged down into the ground by his dick was just so incredible because obviously he was a dick. And with a name like that, I have no comment further to say because I don't want to offend anyone named Lenjamin. If you're out there, I'm speechless. 
Okay, so he's in my favorite kill too, but it's when he kills Ashley and he punches her through the chest. Right through the chest. With his vape in his hand and then like pulls it back through and then hits it <laughs> as a zombie. It's so good. When he says, man, my vape is out. That's why I was like, yo, this is, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. Oh my gosh. I, I gotta say though, even like the laughing gas clown, right? Like hit that clown's just getting eaten alive by zombies and they're ripping through his intestines. It was giving Night of the Living Dead. It was so good. I loved it. And he's like sitting there laughing the whole time. So good. I didn't know I needed clowns versus zombies. Mm, yeah. That's some good shit, man. That's a crossover we didn't know we deserved. Fucking zombies versus clowns. Yeah. I also love the angle, though, of like the video game controller dudes. That was wild. Can we take a moment to unpack, though? What I thought was a hilarious kill, and that was the Arborist. Because, man, the inverse Jason of this movie. He had the daddy issues instead of the mommy issues. Mm -hmm. Then we also had a character who was pulling a Ginny from Friday the 13th Part 2, who was trying to pretend to be his father instead of trying to pretend to be the mother. But when he just kept on going and kept on running up this mindless fucking guy just to get speared by Krill... Because the virgin took him down. That was that good shit, man. The fucking flaming spear. That was crazy. It was so wholesome. Yeah. I, I just, I also like unrelated to the actual kill, but I love the fact that we have the actor who played the arborist, like facing off against this now thing that is the actual arborist in real life. Like that moment was like, what <laughs> yeah. if you had a freaking Jason or Michael Myers actor facing off against a movie version of themselves? It's so much fun. Bro, Kane Hodder versus Kane Hodder's Jason? It'd be the match of a century, of a lifetime. I absolutely love the idea of him being like haunted by his past and just that the beautiful poetry of that moment. Not that this movie was poetic. I think the question is, knowing like they have this actor that plays the arborist that's facing against the arborist or you're surviving with this actor. Let me ask you this. Which horror movie character would you want to survive a horror movie with? Ooh, the actual character or the actor? Well, I mean, that's a good question, too. I, I would say, let's say the character. Because I feel like if if it's a horror movie with them in it, where like we have to face off against them, like, give me Michael Myers any day versus Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. because they'll just like do their thing as long as my Michael Myers is on my side. Yeah. Let's talk about some of these antagonists though, because honestly, my favorite thing to look at in this movie was the antagonists. I think that they did a good job with, with the set, but having such a large variety of, of bad guys was a fantastic choice for this. And also having them being like the wish.com version of them was a lot of fun to get into. Not the wish.com, the Timu version. <laughs> the Timu version. Like they were able to like play off of it so well and you were able to get into it because if they had to like do the right thing with a Jason or Michael Myers or Ghostface or something, it would have been so restrictive. And we didn't have that going on here. We had clowns. You could do whatever you want to with clowns. We had zombies that weren't really the zombies of any other genre. Like yeah. they were friggin' wired up zombies with GoPros on them honestly hilarious. Uh, but when we get to the Arborist, it's such a ridiculous antagonist, which plays so well against movies like Jason or uh, The Burning. I got major burning vibes from the character itself. So yeah, I, I just like, I love the look. They were all very distinct and they were all like really good nods to the actual movie villains that they were referencing. And they weren't cheesy looking, which was, I think, a great choice for the most part is that they didn't look cheesy 
even though they were in some cheesy stuff, they looked like I could actually 100% see the Arborist having a real life movie. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something, right? I, I didn't really think about it until you just started talking about this, but just the fact that even though they're referencing so many horror movies, the actual antagonists themselves are not replicas of these horror movie characters or villains or antagonists or whatever, but it still lands and it doesn't take away. So I think, yeah, that's a great point. I'd never even really thought about that until just now. What a good thought. We think about the way these characters look. We think about the wardrobe, the makeup. This really, this whole thing looked good to me, except for the effects. And I'm going to get there in a little bit. I don't want to rain on a lot of parades too early in the spoiler zone. But a lot of this movie did look good. This The cinematography looked really good. The lighting looked really good, especially when we think about that initial welcome to Bloodfest, motherfuckers, and just the lighting. And before the shit gets real, a lot of the effects teetered back and forth between this is really fun and then this is really bad. It didn't quite hit bad enough to feel like it was leaning into the bad. But let me tell you, there's a moment when I predicted that Binks would hack this movie. And you got it very wrong. I would love to know. <laughs> I know. I got it wrong, of course. I predicted Binks would hack this movie when I learned that the cinematographer for this movie was also the cinematographer for the 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. The deep sigh. And now Binks is going to hack this at the end of the year. Well, no, because <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre looks good. <laughs> it does. God, I struggle even saying that. Wow, you know what the irony of that actually is that my favorite visual like element for this film is that I loved the cinematography, the lighting, all of that <laughs> and the shot build up. So, you know what? I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Shooter McGavin. Wow, you knocked me off my rocker. I don't even know what to say. I was speechless. I have that effect. <laughs> I don't know what happened to that man or, or that person. Like, why? What? I mean, okay, because the 20 I'm we're, we're not reviewing that movie, so we're not going to get into it, but it's just like <laughs> there are some good things visually, I guess, with that movie. That movie looks good. It's shot impeccably. The problem is not in the cinematography in that movie. You can't tell me that party bus scene wasn't shot elegantly. No, no, no. You know, the problem, the bigger thing is, is that that would require me to rewatch the movie to try to give it another chance to like appreciate those things. Don't give it another chance. Fucking look it up on Google Images. No, you don't gotta do that. Fucking put it on mute. <laughs> oh, I don't want to remember. I don't want to. I don't want to remember. Man, is it because they tiptoed through the sunflowers? No. Oh no, they didn't. I actually watched that movie. Wow, this is weird. I watched that movie also when I watched Honeydew, when I watched Skinner Rink, when I watched His House. Yeah, wow. What the fuck? You watched a lot of movies. Yeah, my brother and I just try to maximize the weekend. Anyways. Yeah, so, okay, well, my favorite visual was the cinematography. Hate that it's that person, but you know what? He did a good job in this movie, and I guess, fine, I will look up Google Shots and try to appreciate more Texas Chainsaw, but I, I struggle to give any flowers to that movie whatsoever, but, you know... We're not talking about that one. We're talking about good old Bloodfest. <laughs> I agree. I like the cinematography, but I also liked the visual of the Bloodfest grounds as a whole, especially when they give you the aerial shot, giving you just like the feel of how massive this event really is or this haunt really is because man there's so many different like zones and then they're separated. It looks like they're separated by big patches of like woods or trees and it just feels wild. It feels like maybe one of the most amazing haunts of all time and despite just taking out the fact that everyone pretty much gets murdered in there 
it kind of sounds like a fun place to go to outside of that, right? Like if <laughs> minus the actual murders happening, I would like to go to Bloodfest. You know what I mean? That sounds like pretty cool. <laughs> but I just want to talk about the entrance for a second as they're getting into Bloodfest and it's that entrance wall or what have you. And you've got like these random people at the top of this entrance just continuously headbanging. First of all, I hope these people have fucking insurance because their necks are going to be fucked after that. I don't know if you've gone through even 30 minutes of headbanging at a concert, but it doesn't feel fucking good afterwards. And kudos to them if they're like hired to literally just sit there and headbang for hours on end because that's hard. That's hard to do. I want to go back to something you said about the actual like campus, if you will. They were not able to build everything as their own set, right? And so they had to kind of balance out making it look like it's all these different locations, but that they're in the same space. And I think they did a good job of that. So I think it is a good visual to have because you don't feel like they're just like running around in the woods to different spots and then like setting up a camera there and then like, okay, let's do it here. Like it really does feel like they are traveling through one area that's been very deliberately crafted. But in, in reality, they have to like scout these different locations, film them, and then like somehow visually tie it together to make it look very, very well done on purpose. And I think they were successful with that. I mean, when you're filming that large of an area, you're going to have to like, I don't know, figure out like, is this the right type of tree to give us continuity? And they did a good job with that. I have a question about a particular visual. There was a moment that was used as a comedic punctuation mark in this movie. How did you all feel about the moment that Lenjamin is pulled to his demise? They wonder if he's still alive, and then it's a burp with two chunky flesh bits coming up. Did you like that? <laughs> no. How could you not? <laughs> I didn't like it. I thought it was a funny attempt, but I didn't laugh because of how bad the, the shit coming up looked. You see, I laughed because of how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun of it, I think. I don't know. And much like the first kill that you were mentioning, I, I literally paused the movie in that moment when I saw like the kind of blood quality and stuff, and I was like, oh, here we go. That's this movie. That's what we're getting into. Got it. You need to know. Was it giving Renfield blood for you? It was giving Renfield. But you know what? Unlike Renfield, this movie was the kind of funny that I can get behind. Mm. And Renfield barely, barely fucking made it. It was a 51, like 51% like Max said. Let's go back to that burp, though, because I feel like it was a very evil dead kind of moment to have, but it wasn't full evil dead. And so I was like, yeah. if you're going to do it and you're going to make it that kind of camp, like go further, go for it, go all the way and make it pure, absolute ridiculousness. And then I think I would have been really into it. It was, it was almost too subtle. It's like, don't hold back. Okay. So obviously cinematography is great. There is a lot in this movie that works. And yeah, we had some evil dead ish energy here, especially with the vomiting at the very end from Sam onto Dax, the vomiting I wasn't here for. Let me tell you about my favorite scene though. And this was the scene. There was a recreation of a very famous scene from Trick or Treat. And it was when Krill stumbles upon the succubi and their vampires. Well, modified women who are subjected into ways of becoming a vampire. And you have the bonfire. The guys are just drinking. The women are fawning over them. And they don't realize that they're actually prey. But then for Krill to be totally fucking naive to the whole thing, doesn't even look over there. And you have these men being massacred while this woman is like, the loyalty, it's just too much. Get away. Like she doesn't want to hurt him. 
fucking hilarious. That was a comedy that worked for me. And honestly, why I loved Krill's character so much. And he was having a main character moment. Facts. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of ridiculous that they were like biting some dude's wiener off in the background and he was not paying it any attention. And that's what absolutely landed was like he's playing this oblivious uh, character. And I think you're right that that actually felt a more comedic main character moment than we actually get from our main character. Exactly. The way that this man works with comedy so fucking good. If this movie had been with him as Dax, I think I would have bought in so much more. Oh, yeah. Well, that's also like, I think there's a skill difference here when it comes to delivering comedy. Right. His expertise is comedy and like that wittiness. It's literally his character in Spider-Man as well. So he nails that completely. But then it comes, it just goes to show you that if he had been Dax, then like, I think he needed to be Krill because Dax isn't written to be that kind of funny. Krill is. That's fine. But still, fuck Dax. I get what you mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. <laughs> fuck Dax. For me, I would say it's a little biased, but my favorite scene or what stood out the most to me was the whole thing with Zachary Levi. Because right off the bat, when they had his little cameo at the beginning with him doing the karaoke, I was like, that is so random, but I love this. Then when he actually showed up, I like audibly gasped. I was like, oh shit, he's literally in this movie. And I was not prepared. I was thinking like, oh my God, is he like really going to be in this like whole little group and entourage? The whole thing about Flynn Rider was hilarious. And that being the continuous thing, he's trying to have a serious conversation. His love of his life died and she just keeps going on and on. That probably would have been me fangirling over Zachary Levi, not going to lie. And look, I know he is in rightfully so a lot of heat. But I already said it earlier, Chuck is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I just loved every moment of it. As small and short as it was, it was a great surprise. Well, I'm going to jump in the train because you stole my favorite scene. But it's more specific to the exchange that you mentioned where he's being interrupted by fangirling and then like rolls his eyes and tries to go back to his story. And this is one of those like good comedy moments of the, of the movie because they're going like back and forth and back and forth and they like keep hammering it in that like comedy by repetition. And I think that's what really landed for me in that moment. This could have been literally anybody. I mean, it would have been more fun if it was Nick Cage, of course, or somebody else, but like it still worked with Zachary Levi and like he's going back and forth. She just fangirls as if they don't even hear each other speaking. Fan fantastic moment. Like this is, hey, director and writer, like good job. Like do more of that in the rest of this movie. Give me classic comedy. At least I thought it landed. Looking at Chris's face, maybe it didn't for everybody else. Sorry, no, that moment did land, Mac. What didn't land for me is this director and writer. And I also was not a fan of him inserting himself into the movie. Pretty heavily. I am intrigued why that happened. Could they not find another actor? No, he probably just wanted to be in the movie. Here's the thing. It was giving megalomaniac. Like, that's the energy that I got from him and his performance of that character. Like, the character started out fine at the beginning of the massacre scene with Welcome to Bloodfest, motherfuckers. And there were some great oh, yeah. fucking lines that he got with talking about, look around you, our vampires glitter, our zombies have become soap opera stars, we have taken what was forbidden, what was dangerous, and made it common. Yeah. All fucking great. Then it's like he loses his presence the rest of the fucking movie. I'm like, all right, get the fuck out of here. You know who would have had better delivery? Tony Todd. And Hellfest, the better movie, picked up Tony Todd. I feel like we've seen that. 
Yeah, naturally. I did like when Anthony Walsh was talking to the gamers that were controlling the antagonists or whatever. And he's like, do you want any Doritos, Red Bull or corn syrup? I don't know. It was subtle, but that made me laugh out loud a little bit. Man, one of my favorite scenes was the scene where Lenjamin is trying to call 911 for help. And he thinks the lady on the line is about to help him. And then all of a sudden she's like... (laughs) go fuck yourself. (laughs) And he's like, what? Excuse me? And then she proceeds to graphically explain how he can go fuck himself. Man, I don't know why I like that scene so much, but it was fucking funny. It was the fact that afterwards they're like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no way. (laughs) Oh, Lenjamin. What a character. I feel like Lenjamin was making fun of somebody that the director knows. Has to. That was the vibe 100%. And with a name like that, sorry, again, to anyone named Lenjamin, but really. Because it could also just be like the director meme or trope or something like that, but it just feels kind of specific. Definitely personal. Yeah, very intimate. Let me tell you about something character-wise that I hated, was predictable, but also is good from a certain point of view. And it's like, again, that mixed bag of feelings, right? Let's talk about the doctor. Let's talk about the dad. Uh, If they didn't go the direction they did, what would have been bad about this movie was making this dad look to be like he's right about everything. But to your point, Mac, you can guess from the fucking second scene in the movie when he's urging his child not to go to this thing. He is the doctor who preaches about evil. He's the Ahab. He's a new Loomis. But then he is the one That is the flip on things, right? So we've seen like in Scream, we've seen killers use horror movies to be more creative in their kills and be inspiring. And then you have someone who's so against this culture that they're going to wield that very culture to try to put it in the ground. I think that element on paper is cool, but it just didn't 100% click for me in the terms of like, I, I, I just didn't think it was executed very well. If they could have shielded it a bit, If they could make it less predictable, then I think that would have been a better twist. I just don't know if this movie necessarily needed a twist to begin with, though. Like, I think that's the unfortunate side of it. Because it was just so absurd, freaking predictable and absurd and ridiculous that it was giving at some points a little bit scream where it's like, all right, well, we know it's got to be someone because we know the rules of this game. So I guess, but I want you to know that this is pretty left field and a stretch. This was a stretch. So it was odd. I don't think we necessarily needed him to be like this actual like twist antagonist because it wasn't believable at all. Leave me with Anthony Walsh. Like I was crazy as it is. Yeah. But knowing that Dr. Conway or whatever was behind all of this, he's the mastermind, right? Is this him hating horror movies so much as the result of his wife being murdered that this happened? Or... Is this because he actually hates horror movies so much and couldn't stand that his wife and son were watching horror movies and had his fucking wife killed? Mm. Oh, wow. That's a hardcore interpretation there. I mean, he says something in that opening scene or whatever when he's talking to them when they're on the couch. I think he says something like, go ahead and continue scaring yourselves to death. Yeah. And walks away. And then the next thing you know, she gets murdered and he comes in and shoots the intruder. And I also think it's fucking ridiculous that he says, don't look after he's already shot the motherfucker. Right. Great job, buddy. I'm going to be honest. I think it's giving the movie more credit than it deserves. Maybe. Yeah. That's where my mind went. That they're that clever? That they would have done that. Like it would have been like an intentional hit and framing of it all. 
Yeah, that would have been giving the movie more more credit. I don't know. We talked about cheese earlier and how cheesy it was. They specifically timed that whole queso and like little fun bit between the two controllers or whatever of everything about going on a date, maybe getting some queso. And I interpreted it as like what's about to come next in this final scene or act is going to be very cheesy. And it was. Mm. So that's when you were talking about how cheesy the ending was. I was like, well, I think that's definitely the point. And they were trying to hint at it because they talked about cheese and queso Mm -hmm. literally in detail right before hitting that whole part off. But here's the thing. There's still a difference between intending to do something and then doing that cheese well. And it just didn't do the cheese well for me. Oh, I think the cheese was Hallmark goody. Not the Hallmark goody. <laughs> I thought it was Hallmark goody. That's some outdated ass cheese. Check the expiry date. Oh. I just had trouble with the father, with the doctor, with the psychiatrist. Like as a character in general, he was just completely unbelievable. His motives made legitimately no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and were like the most extreme where he's like writing books against horror movies. Any like valid psychiatrist that I've ever heard of would easily be able to explain why people like horror movies and would understand why they would be into them. And like, even if they didn't like them themselves, it'd be like, okay, like I understand like what this does for you. And I don't know. It's just like too, un- it's too unreal. Like you have to suspend disbelief. I think a little bit too much to get behind him as a character and then to buy the idea that he would be part of this and then rope his own daughter into it, even though he didn't want his son there. None of it just like really added up to 100%. I mean, that was the scream of it all. And that was the scream of it all. That was the scream of it all. It was so far-fetched also to include Jamie in it and for her to be this like actual like sociopathic serial killer type badass doing all kinds of flips and turns. I'm like, what is this? This is Scream. This is absolutely Scream. Your ghost face right now. What is happening here? It was so odd. The acrobatics. Truly. And again, I say that ghost face, best masked ghost face, worst unmasked ghost face. And it was just more of the fucking same on this ending. Honestly, same situation as earlier. If you're going to do it, just lean harder into it. Give us almost a recreation of a Scream reveal because we kind of get pretty close. I mean, it is like you've mentioned, it's basically Scream, but like go all the way. Really give us not a line for line kind of Scream moment, but pick a movie and almost copy the blocking from that movie when you do this. And I think I would have bought more into it. But I think at this point, we're talking 2018. So they would have been going off of what Scream 4, right? In some ways... They, I feel like the reveal kind of did, at least with the sister specifically, it was a miss with the dad, without a doubt. Throw, like, throw that reveal out the window. Maybe with the sister and the reveal of the mask type thing. Sure. And just going off of what screen movies we have thus far in terms of 2018. That's true. I will say, talking a little bit now about Ashley, just briefly, because obviously we talked about the Flynn Rider situation. She has some great one-liners. She's another sleeper. Don't sleep on the things that she says, because they're really, really good. A point where she says to Lenjamin, or, or rather, Lenjamin is saying like, oh, my up-and-coming girlfriend or whatever. And she's like, I'm just coming. I'm a coming actress. That was, <laughs> that was nuts. <laughs> then when she says that she's going to be the rom in the rom-com, I felt that right there i was gonna be the rom i was gonna be the rom i loved it so much so shout out to her i think she was definitely one of those characters where you know you think she's kind of like up in the clouds a little bit dumb to be honest but she has some great great one-liners she was definitely giving like 
Shannon Elizabeth in a spoof movie in the early 2000s kind of a feeling. Not quite as, as lightheaded as I liked to play her, because they always gave her those types of characters. But it was, I think, a good role for that actress as, as well. But her lines, like you mentioned, are great. That whole shower scene situation was also pretty great. God, it was really reminding me, again, a movie that came after this, but it was really reminding me of Fear Street. We had a very similar type of interaction. Regardless, something I struggled with for as like well cast as I think Ashley was, as Krill was... I struggled with Dax, and I think it was because Dax, for me, was giving Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, I wish I could explain why and specifically what I mean. A lot of the facial expressions, for some reason, I just looked at him and I saw Frankie. Hmm. It was a little rough. I also just wish that his character was more complex than having a dead mom and daddy issues. Because I feel like that should be enough for most people, and yet it felt like not enough for him. I felt like that was the only hardship he's known. And that is a big one, but also it just felt like almost one-dimensional, despite needing to be complex. When he kind of goes off on his own moment of being a big fan, it didn't feel earned. And so it was like, oh, we had no idea that he was into the Arborist whatsoever until this moment when he's told us now. That's what it kind of felt like. And so I think perhaps the beginning of the movie wasn't long enough. I mean, the movie itself was plenty long, but we didn't get enough like background on him as a character to really give a crap. I did enjoy his take and his interpretation as the movie went on until he started being a little bit of a little bitch at the at the end when Sam had to really give him a pep talk to fucking get up and do something about it. That part, I was like, ah, oh, Jesus, all right. But when he starts to talk about the things that we all talk about as horror fans, right? Like why we love these movies, thinking about people complaining about how killers always move so slow and they're walking and yet they appear everywhere. But it really is about the inevitability of death. And no matter how fast you run, it's always coming for you. Those moments were really great. I just wish there was more of that because the character as a whole, when we weren't having moments like that, felt like... I don't care that much about you. Give me some more krill. I agree with you, but I also think the parts that we got that were kind of that kind of fell flat for his character didn't necessarily ruin it for me. I'm not saying he's the best character in the movie, but I definitely think between him, Krill, and maybe even Sam, they really did carry the movie. I had a hard time giving a shit about any character in this movie, to be honest with you. Well, I think that when it comes to comedy though, when we're looking at these subgenres, there's only a certain amount of character building and like backstory and depth that you're trying to give because then we're going to be here forever type of situation. So when it comes to Dax specifically, to me, I didn't need to get really into the weeds and see this like depth of him losing his mom and all this other stuff because it's a comedy and I'm, this is supposed to be lighthearted. It's not supposed to be talk to me. You know what I'm saying? So I think when we look at that you and you establish that, you start to realize, all right, well, for example, I love that you brought up the little pep talk with Sam because it's like, yeah, bro, of all the things that you've gone through right now, this is what's got you down? Like, get the fuck up. But again, that makes me laugh because this is a comedy. If this had been like a, an actual horror movie, Dax for sure would have annoyed the absolute fuck out of me because this is a serious movie. There's serious stakes. Like, you got to really get it together. In this movie, everything is just so camp and like ridiculous that I guess I had a little bit of a lighthearted tone to all these characters. And yeah, I didn't really care about any of them, but I found them really funny. And that was okay for me. I think I also take issue with the fact that he talks about there are three ways a horror movie ends. One, a single hero survives. Two, 
no one no one survives or some shit and then she asked what the third one he's like let's find out motherfucker what you don't act like you haven't seen horror movies where multiple people fucking survive you have this encyclopedic knowledge of horror movies and you're gonna act like it's one of these only these two outcomes and maybe this is the first time something will happen go fuck yourself bro (laughs) i wish i could tell you why this elicits so much rage in me but it was too much it was demasiado i will say sam makes a comment to Dax saying that all he knows is shit is probably what my friends think of me with the fact that I go to trivia so often. And this shit is of a particular relevance. Yes. Yeah, I will give it that because yes, he does know all this shit, but that line was a little bit off. That was one of those moments where like, all right, here we go. That was a dip. We hit a block on the road because that doesn't make sense at all. But sure, we want to make it like, let's go one final push, one last hoorah. Let me tell you though, when Sam says... Fuck you and your dead mom. I was thinking about Sean. Oh, my God. I was like, Sean would say that if he were in the situation with Dax. Right? 100%. Fuck you and your dead mom. Fuck you and your dead mom. Let's fucking go. I really want to go through, I mean, listen, the characters are the characters. Can we just talk about some of these great fucking quotes in this movie? There are some good ones. Krill. If this goes all evil dead, I'm going to pop. You're about to get pruned, punk. (laughs) She thought Black Christmas was a Tyler Perry movie. Oh, yeah. It was so fucking good. Oh, my gosh. There was one where where she thought that 28 Days Later was a health doc about the fucking menstrual cycle. Flow Fest 2024. (laughs) It's all so good. I I don't remember the exact quote right now, but right at the beginning when Krill is introduced and he's talking about like, oh, yeah, they want the Krill. And she goes, yeah, I can't even fathom how, like, why no one's snatched you up yet. Oh, yeah. The sarcasm is so peak. I love this, like, wholesome energy we get from him where he's like, three new subscribers, none of them relatives, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) I know that feeling, bro. I gotta say, honestly... The one-liners are the absolute best part of this movie. The worst part for me is, yes, there are definitely some cliche moments, some awkward characters. But ranking at number one for me is the CGI a little bit with the blood and stuff. Like, it just, maybe it was a little too sensitive. Maybe Renfield isn't far enough of of a space away from me. It's just any time that I see some awkward CGI, it sends me right back to the mean one as like a baseline. And then everybody has to kind of work their way back up because that was just so, so bad that I'm just like, it's almost like triggering a little bit. I'm like, oh, no, God. And then uh, after a while, you can kind of mull it over because the rest of it gets a little fun, obviously, and you get over it. But it took me off guard for sure. I don't have to agree with you. When we think about the effects in the movie, I want to even lean away from the gore because, yeah, the gore is pretty hit or miss. For me, it's how do you make a movie that looks so good the whole way through and then that do that bullshit with the ending? Like the glass breaks and then you have this completely fucking fabricated sky and it looks awful to me. <laughs> fucking awful. That tower. You can talk about the ascension of that moment and the cheese and like really just like leaning into it. But it wasn't technically executed in a way that allows you to focus on leaning into it. Instead, it dist- it distracts from it for me. I agree. I think the worst part of the movie is the ending. And if what they were going for was a scream reveal, if what they were going for was making an obvious reference to a scream reveal, like, good, lean more into it, though, because in the moment, it didn't really feel like a reference. It really just felt like a bad reveal and an, and a, and an unnecessary secret. But when he makes it through that glass, 
and starts falling in the towers like a skyscraper. That's also completely unbelievable. And then when the sister pulls a Spider-Man, at this point, we're, we're going too ridiculous. It's not even campy anymore. And she really pulled a Spider-Man after pulling a scorpion. Get over here. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. The scorpion references is those chain knife kills. My favorite video game. What else is there really to say? I mean, the ending, yes, lackluster for sure. The CGI, some of the effects, not great. I think also one of the worst parts for me, really, and I've talked about it, is really just how predictable the film was. The plot, even up to the reveal, like it just didn't hit for me in the way that I wanted it to, but I still had a fun time with it. But yeah, that was probably outside of what you all said. If I had to pick a different worst part, it was probably the predictability of this whole thing. Well... For all the complaints I've had, let me tell you, still going to fucking watch it. Every year, not sure. I feel like between this and Hellfest and Haunt, I think Hellfest and Haunt are a better pairing. But this is definitely going to be in the rotation for spooky season. I could see that. I definitely think that this movie has a lot of rewatch value just for the sheer amount of like nods and Easter eggs sprinkled in throughout the film. And I, I just don't think you can get them all in one take or you might forget about some. So I, I, I definitely think there's rewatch value just from that alone. But that being said, again, I, I'm not sure how soon I would rewatch this movie. At this point, it's really hard to fit in a movie that I'm going to watch every year, especially in and around the Halloween season. You got to really stand out to get a spot there or really be good enough to bump something out of a slot. So it'll come back around at some point, but it's not going to be, I don't think, anytime soon. Sean's really planning five years ahead on his Halloween rotations. I'll pencil you in 2032. The list is already pretty lengthy, so... There's that. Yeah, I mean, look, we've already been in the spooky season since the beginning of September. But like, you know, at this point, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to like rewatch this this month, obviously. But I definitely can see myself putting this movie in when I just want a good laugh. You know, when it's been like a really hard day, I'm really down in the dumps and I just want to watch something ridiculous and laugh Because this one definitely was fun to watch and lifted up the spirits for sure. I think this is one of those where it's like you watch it for the first time, maybe you or you and somebody else. But then the next time you watch it is you're showing it to somebody who's never seen it before. I think it's that kind of a movie where it's like we've popped some popcorn. We've got a couple drinks. We need something silly to kind of hang out and and just have in the background and comment on here and there. And I think it's the perfect kind of movie, especially with all the quotes, especially with all the references. Well, it sounds like we're putting this on the shelf for a little while, despite being open to revisiting it. But let's see if that shelf life can get extended by Max Factor Fiction. Number one, there's a ventriloquist doll in the Torchville Theater that was used in real-life horror film Dead Silence. I know that the doll itself, I think, was supposed to be from Dead Silence. It also fucking looked like Slappy from Goosebumps. But I don't know if it was the actual doll, so that I'm going to go fiction. Maybe they had it in the budget. Let's go for fact. I mean, we're dressing up Dead Silence to be this massive like blockbuster hit. And I mean, <laughs> I think all of us have probably seen Dead Silence. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah, <sighs> Chris hasn't seen this one. But Chris, just know that it's no Halloween. This one is a fact. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, I don't think Dead Silence is up there. <laughs> I don't know. I think they probably could afford it. Now, number two. Of all the insane jam-packed scenes of this movie, the clowns versus zombie scene was the most difficult to film. Tons of extras, practical effects, gallons and gallons and gallons of blood. I mean, I, I could see it being difficult to film. I think there were 
some effects involved. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the laughing gas clown getting eaten alive. I think there are some kills in there throughout that whole scene. I'm having a hard time with like gallons and gallons and gallons of blood. That specific. I don't know. It's a tough one. And your words. Gallons and gallons and gallons is just a wording for fun. So don't focus on the number of gallons. I'm going to go fact. So we'll see what happens. For practicality reasons, I'm going to also say fact. But I feel like in one of those standardized testing things, they always tell you don't do the same answer twice in a row. But whatever. YOLO. YOLO indeed. Okay, this one is a curveball that you could never have been prepared for. This is a fiction. So the director... (laughs) actually stated that filming two actors in an empty warehouse was the most difficult, that big old warehouse we get towards the end there, as Hurricane Harvey was in full force, rattling the warehouse doors, and anyone who like didn't need to be moving around during the filming was hugging a wall, trying to hold the wall against moving in the wind. Wow. Was this movie really worth it? <laughs> like, was this really worth filming during hurricane conditions, sir? No. Come on. He was trying to have his own blood fest. He was trying to have his own fucking lawsuit fest, bro. Wrongful death suit fest. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my. All right. Well, number three, this movie has a more comedic tone than the director's previous films, but would you be surprised to find out he'd spent plenty of time performing comedy on stage at the Alamo Draft House in Austin? Yes. Sorry. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to say that that's a fact that he did stand up comedy or tried to be or something of that nature. He gives that vibe. He kind of does give that vibe. He gives that vibe for sure. And at the Alamo Draft House, it's a fantastic, fantastic location. But he gives the fucking vibe for sure. He kind of does give that vibe, but man, it probably is a fact. But I don't think he's fucking funny. So fiction. (laughs) Well, this one. Sorry, Sean. This one's a fact. So comedy paid his bills before writing ever did. Uh, in In an interview, he spoke of mixing comedy and horror for this movie, stating both are based setting up expectations and subverting. Both inspire involuntary noises from viewers laughs and screams and both our best experience in a dark room filled with fellow film fans so cool I'm, I'm down with it but when it comes to mixing the comedy and the horror and the whole subversion thing I don't really think he subverted our expectations here so gotta work on that I wonder if his punchlines are better on stage Doubtful. And finally, number four, Zachary Levi agreed to take part in the film only if he was killed off in the most gruesome way possible, but ended up feeling okay walking back his death's gore when he had allergic reactions to the fake blood. Not me thinking, like, what is he allergic to? I don't actually know that information. (laughs) That would be next level stuff. I'm going to say fiction. I also want to say fiction. Although I have been saying fact this whole time. I know you have, and you've been right, and I have not been. No, but I did get one wrong. I think it's the bob and weave, so I'm going to say fiction. I'm going to change it up. I mean, I also think fiction, so I'm going to stick with it, but we'll see. You have good intuition here. This was definitely a fiction. I just made it up. But seriously, why didn't he get like completely demolished in this film? As an actor, if you're going to play yourself, why would you not want to be completely like ripped limb from limb? That's true. He got the smallest little cut with some garden shears. The fucking garden shears to the neck. Yeah, well... That's been Factor Fiction. There you have it, folks. Bloodfest from 2018 has earned a universal slash. Now, we've certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. Are you enough of a horror fan to survive Bloodfest? Let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider joining our new blood drive and becoming a member of the family. Check the link in our show notes or visit hackerslash.live slash support to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, 
You can sit there watching, or you can get up and do something. So, is this the third way a horror movie ends? Holy shit, friends. It's only seven days until we're all together in person. I kind of was giving a little bit of the ring, like, seven days. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen in seven days, but the idea, the vibe is that when we reach our final destination, no pun intended, we'll be together in a good way. This is all sounding like we're going to (laughs) die. Very much, actually. The perfect vibes for this movie. Fuck you for saying that as I was drinking water, Sean. Oh, my timing is... Perfect. Always. Now this is going to be terrible if one of us does die. Shit. (laughs) Well. Holy shit. At least I forewarned you all, so. I guess. Run the tape back. Bings, can you massage a chicken foot or sprinkle some sage to prevent (laughs) any bad things from happening? Uh, Oh, absolutely. I'll do un despojo, like, right after this. (laughs) Can you light a candle or just, like, a hacker slash candle light it and do a, a magic thing? For sure. Light your St. Binks candle. (laughs) The St. Binks candle. (laughs) We can put candles in our merch store. They're not specifically St. Binks, but we can put them. Nice. We talked about this already with my St. Binks candles on the shop. I'm scared. Yeah, those are like artisanal candles. We can't mass produce and drop ship those. But we can put our logo on a fucking candle that is vanilla scented or some shit. Okay, that I feel a lot better about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, these candles are not tall enough to be giving St. Binks. It's like a short stack. That's kind of perfect, though. That's a little more wholesome and a little less blasphemous. Well, I think the folks say in the chat, St. Binks candles in the store or none at all. So fuck them candles, according to Nathan. All right. Well, there you have it. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so seven days until we're all together, until Mac meets Sean and Binks. Until Binks and Sean see each other in person for the second time ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, geez, it, you, it's got to wait until all then, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess we have no other time, so might as well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, we can probably actually. squeeze something in before that. But the other exciting part about this is then we are technically right now eight days away from fucking Halloween Horror Nights. Oof. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. There are some really good houses that- I am extremely pumped. Uh, this Halloween Horror Nights is basically my brand with both Stranger Things and The Last of Us. I'm going to be ridiculous. I mean, yeah. And I'm excited for The Exorcist. Yeah, that too. That one's also going to be really cool. And Chucky. And even like the ones that that are just kind of local to Orlando, I guess. Those are the special ones. Sure. Those are kind of nice too. Nothing really beats the that one year that they did The Pumpkin King though. But, oh my god, so good. Yeah, that one was incredible, but I, I do enjoy those houses as well. But man, to do Chucky, Exorcist, Last of Us, Stranger Things, they're like coming out with some heavy hitters. They are. Also, though, they do have their Universal Monsters unmasked, which is cool. So we're going to see some Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, some Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Invisible Man. Should be pretty cool. I completely forgot about that one. I'm so excited for you specifically to experience that. It's going to be great. So I'm going to be crying going through the Stranger Things and Last of Us house, and you'll be crying going through that one. Got it. And I guess I'll just like take my slasher fill with Chucky, probably. That's fine, I guess. And Mac will have The Exorcist. There's something in there for everyone. There is. 
I'm not 100% sure about this Dueling Dragons one. It's really feeling a lot more fantasy. Which, I mean, I, I enjoyed the roller coaster. I mean, I miss it. That one was so fun. But I don't really know how that's going to be a house. What is Dueling Dragons? Isn't that that like 1980s, 1990s martial arts kids movie? Yeah. No, Double Dragon. That's Double oh, Dragon. Oh, Double Dragon. Okay. The Dueling Dragons roller coaster had you on two separate carts, a red cart and a blue cart. And it was two separate roller coasters that intertwined with each other. And it felt like every time like you were going to fucking crash into each other. It was amazing. Oh, wow. No. I never experienced that. Now it's some Harry Potter shit, right? Yeah. I mean, well, Dueling Dragons was at Universal. And then they changed it to then be the dragons from Harry Potter. And then they changed it again to make it the Hagrid's ride. Gotcha. I think Dueling Dragons, it's crazy. It got shut down technically as Dueling Dragons in 2010. So it's already been 13 years since it got shut down, which is kind of nuts. I feel like it was just yesterday. How spooky. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't even think about that. So, uh, Yeah, it was so fun, though. I don't really know how it's going to be as a haunt, but we'll see. I've, I've never been to Halloween Horror Nights, so oh, yeah. I'm just kind of excited to, to go with all of you because I feel like this is the crowd you'd want to go with if you're going to go for the first time. Yes, 100%. Oh, for sure. I never thought in a million years I'd be talking about going to Universal. This is big. I'm excited for you. This is huge for you, Mac, and I'm really hoping I can find a way to get you to Disney. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I've been to Disneyland in California, and I've been to Disneyland Paris, but I've not been to Disney World yet. So who the fuck goes to Disneyland Paris before Disney World and is an American? <laughs> it's just the life that I've lived. I've been to Disneyland Paris, I think, like three or four times. So, oh, wow. You know, that's wild. I, I will say the last time I was there was many years ago. And so one of the most memorable moments I had was being in an arcade. And that's when they had the pod racer arcade game that had like the actual controls in the pod that you sat on. So, hmm. yeah, the, the standard's kind of high because 20 years ago, that's the memory I have. But I'm excited to maybe go to Disney. That'd be really cool. Universal sounds awesome. I am not like the world's biggest Harry Potter fan, but if we're in the area and I happen to see some uh, Harry Potter themed stuff, that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Can I tell you, though, that although I love that you're experiencing this for the first time, I wish I could do Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood for the like, because that's something I've never done and I've really wanted to do, mm. especially this year. Apparently, they have less houses than we do in Orlando. They have one that is. You, did you see it? Evil Dead Rise. Holy shit. I heard. Yeah. And I'm like super salty about it. I know. They're doing Evil Dead Rise. I was just having a little chat earlier today with our dear, lovely Vettel. And that Halloween Horror Nights is obviously the one that's closer to her in proximity. I was talking to her about whether or not she'd be able to make the trip over this way in a week. But I was thinking, man, with all this extra vacation time, if I go see Paris in LA, maybe I should just try to do a little double dipping. Ooh, Go see what that's all about. I mean, you are literally right there. Yeah. You might as well. This is like in Anaheim, isn't it? Or that's at least where Disneyland is, it right? No, you know, it's in Hollywood. Oh, it's like in Hollywood, Hollywood? Yeah, like, yeah, Hollywood. Oh. Burbank-ish. That means nothing to me. I mean, you're probably going to explore those areas anyways when, you're, when he's showing you around, so you might as well. Yeah, we'll see. It depends on how poor I feel after this meetup. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess there's also that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. 
Touche. Buy your tickets now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious because I've never been to a haunted house since I was like, I don't know, a little kid where haunted houses were actual people's houses that they just put decorations in. So I'm like curious to see the level of quality that we get as like an actual well-produced thing. Cause I have no way of knowing what the expectations sh- even should be for this thing. You're not even remotely ready to imagine what you're going to get. Have you been to like a hollow scream situation? It's so good. I've never done any of it. I've never even seen the pictures of it. Holy shit. Oh, man. Mac, I'm so sorry in advance. I'm going to be crying like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bitch. For some reason, I believe you. But not like not because I'm scared, but because I'm like just in awe of everything. When the Stranger Things house first premiered in, in Halloween Horror Nights, I wanted to hug one of the actors that dressed up as Dustin because they did it so well. Oh, and my I gosh. And I was like... You look so good. <laughs> the actor's like, get off of me. Don't touch me. While people are screaming, Binks is going to be there like tearing up like, you just did such a good job. I love you so much. <laughs> Ask any of my friends that have gone with me every time the Stranger Things there. And then when when uh, Haunting of Hill House was there, I was like weeping like, everything's so perfect. <laughs> Dude, that's basically how I felt every Halloween house I've been in there. Like, my first time seeing a Halloween house was Halloween 2, and it was sheer perfection. And then this past year, it was like you walked through the opening credits of the movie, and I had so many goosebumps, and I was just like, probably the happiest I've been in the last 10 years, just walking in that moment. Oh my gosh. The production value is nuts. Universal Studios Hollywood did a fantastic job many many moons ago doing the house of a thousand corpses house oh jesus i'd love to see a video of that i should do a youtube video of that that shit was wild what does a fantastic job look like actually putting fucking alpo in a dog food bowl and making some tall man eat it listen it looked fantastic (laughs) i bet you it smelled fantastic too it smells like fog machines and shit okay well that's not bad authenticity authenticity (laughs) i'm going to shove this propaganda down your throat rob (laughs) today of all days too while he's in our area yeah can i tell you though i mean it's it's gonna be a lot of fun right but i have i have literally never been to any horror themed convention or festival i've actually never been to anything like that except for this is gonna sound really bad decades ago i went to like a microsoft like themed conference And like that was the closest I got to any sort of convention or festival was going and talking about like motherboards and and stuff like that with vendors. Ironically, that information could serve you now. Too soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. Binks' motherboard. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Oh, wow. No, I also have never been to a horror festival or convention or anything of that nature. I mean, a convention, sure, but nothing horror related. I've never been to any convention, period. I walked into the outskirts of a tattoo alleged convention, but it was really a poor turnout, so it it didn't seem like it was hitting well back in the day. This is like the early 2010s in Norfolk, Virginia. But I'm really excited because this year I was able to get a press pass for Spooky Empire. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I'm so fucking excited. This is like a dream come true. What is a Spooky Empire? Oh, I'm going to need you to look it up right now, Mac. It is one of the largest horror conventions in the country. Robert Englund is going to be there. Okay, hold on. I need to read out this guest list. Yeah, it's it's stupid stacked. It's so good. 
Like compared to last year too, like what? Uh, it's just it's it's crazy good. It's so fucking good. And honestly, I was going to go last year with Paris after Halloween Horror Nights, and we were just super beat. I ended up not going. And here, this feels like it's making it worth it. We have Robert Englund, Doug Bradley, Kane Hodder, Elvira, famed lesbian Cassandra Peterson, Harry Hamlin, Rose McGowan, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, the Chiodo Brothers, who did Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We have Heather Langenkamp. We have Jana Jameson, Tony Todd, Bill Mosley, sure, Daniel Harris. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> we have famed urban legend killer and Scream 2 background actress Rebecca Gayhart. <laughs> <laughs> we have the guy who plays Sam from Trick or Treat. Uh. Scout Taylor Compton, also a sure. Alex Vincent. It, like, honestly, this is like star studded. I could not be more thrilled that I'm going to get to be there. Dang. It's so good. It, it would be pretty sweet to meet some of these people. I'll, I'll definitely admit that. We'll see what happens. Honestly, just like seeing them from across the room would probably be really cool. Honestly, I'm so glad I'm going to be coming in to another payday before I actually go to that convention because looking at the quality of the vendors that go, I'm going to be very poor. Maybe I can't afford to go to California because I'm just going to buy horror shit at this convention. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's going to be hard to resist. If you were going to buy horror shit, it definitely should be here. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's like I'm going to go to Spirit Halloween with Nathan sometime during the week of the meetup. And then I'm going to go buy some shit at this convention. And then I'm like set for the next two years. Have you never been to Spirit Halloween? I have, but he just specifically wanted to go together. So we're going to go together. It's going to be great. It's a vibe. It's a moment. I was going to say, I was like, that's an odd thing to have never. I mean, it's like party city, but it is an experience for sure. Yeah. Like I have my Michael Myers mask that scared my dog out of my room for six weeks. I got that at Spirit (laughs) Halloween. At Spirit Halloween? Yeah. Nice. It's good shit. 2024 meetup in Cali. Huh. Well, it depends on how this meetup goes. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. These things are expensive to organize and plan. We'll see. We'll see. The ambition is there. Also, getting me to LA is like a really tall order. Yeah. If you can get the time, we'd really have to like go fund that shit. I just mean from a like a desire point of view, like getting me honestly to the state of California is already a big ask, but like specifically the LA area is oh. yeah, that's that's a whole other ballgame. You sound like me trying to be convinced to go to vegas binks oh there's an it escape room in la what apparently all right mac get it together <laughs> <laughs> that took very little convincing <laughs> very little do the meetup at a spirit halloween that took over a shutdown business <laughs> oh yeah there you go <laughs> and that's famously what spirit halloween's all about oh that's so good yeah if we can just get an in from one california spirit halloween employee who can let us in after hours <laughs> we're good oh wow Okay, I'm looking up this escape room, this it escape mm-hmm. room. They cover both chapters. Wait, but I'm seeing that it's in Las Vegas. You tricked me. Wait, what? Is there not also a, lo- a secondary location in LA? I don't know. This website's telling me Las Vegas. You can't get me back there. Oh, no. Okay, Beetlejuice House in LA. Now we're talking. But hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Banks, so. No, but then I keep going to Vegas and then does it ever, does it actually stay there if you just keep going back? <laughs> Eventually, I'm like, maybe I, the gag is that I stay there and, and I don't want to. They can't make me. But did you die? Oh. No, but near, near death. My saddest moment, though, is realizing 
way after we started the idea and like committing to having a meetup this year that in Pasadena, there was this huge convention for the anniversary of Halloween. And I am just so sad. There's no way I can do all three of these things. Just too many things happening. Too many things. So I have to wait another like five years. And then like, I'm basically going to start saving money now. I'm going to donate one of my organs I don't need. And then I'm going to like commit this to the California Halloween anniversary fund. And then they're not going to do shit. And then I'll just have to wait another five years. (laughs) Oh, no. The things we do for love. A serious question that may not yield serious answers. Can you think of a horror movie that has the word blood in the title and is good or at least not campy? I'm thinking about Blood Rage. And that's campy. I also just can't think of many more. My Bloody Valentine? Yes. I think it's a good one, but it's like campy. Honestly, you asked that question in the first movie that came out to my head was There Will Be Blood. That's not horror. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it, but it, is, it is the first one that came to my mind for sure. Oh my gosh. Hmm. I just want to know, is there like a serious horror movie that has blood in the title, but is not that reputation of like camp or... That's a good question. I don't I can't really think yeah, of one wow. right now. Hmm. I'd have to do some research. Our chat says several people typing, and I feel like they're going to give me several answers right now. Like, gosh, idiot, why did you think of this? Maybe not. Here's an article I found with 10 horror movies with blood in the name. I'm not really familiar with any of them, but Blood Feast, Blood and Black Lace, uh, Bloody Pit of Horror, Blood Freak, Blood Sucking Freaks, Blood for Dracula, Blood Beach, Bloody Moon, Blood Diner, Blood Glacier. I'm not familiar with a single one of those things. None of that is giving slash. Yeah. Every single one of those sound like <laughs> the absolute worst time. There might be some slashes in there, but I don't know if they're serious. They might be campy. I love Rob's acknowledgement of this, which is the best is Blood Harvest starring Binks's main man, Tiny Tim, as a clown. Oh, shit. Nice. Love. You know, can I tell you guys, since you brought it up right now, can I tell you guys I just finished a book and in the book... This main character goes to the kitchen and there's this older woman who is humming the song. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. And I was driving. Obviously, it's an audio. It's an audio book. So I got real scared. Oh, it's an audio book. Yes. First of all, audio book. I got scared. Second of all, I was driving. Third of all, when the narrator says the name by Tiny Tim, I literally was gripping this (laughs) steering wheel like you've got to be fucking kidding me however i do want to like specify that the next line in in the whatever in the book was that she that the main character found it very scary and intimidating so i was like well at least there's that other thing i wanted to say sorry we're going on a tangent really fast other thing i wanted to say was that the following day this this past tuesday i take cullen to training and one of the like things that he has to do is go like he has to heal be right at my heel and walk without being distracted the name of that tactic is the is the song name. Is it really? Tiptoe? Yeah, it's tiptoe. Wait, it's, is it like the full line? Or is it just tiptoe? The the full line. No, it's the full line. Weird. Why the fuck? Yeah. They call it they call it the full line. Why the fuck would you name that tactic? That's such a weird thing. Yeah, so I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. So yeah. I, Anywho, wow. Blood Harvest. Holy shit. Fuck that movie as well. Holy shit. It, isn't that crazy? Holy shit. What the fuck is going on in the universe? I don't know what's going on. And then literally Rob brings this up. So that's too many times this week. There's 
too much manifestation happening to you specifically this spooky season. Yeah. I wonder, that's giving like some Final Destination omens. I don't know. I'm going to have to do another sage clean or something. Please do. It's just a sign that you got to face your fears, you know? I already did. I already did. How much more facing of my fears for her birthday can I take? But did you overcome that? Hey, so just to add to it, one of the antagonists in this film does have a red face. Jesus Christ. Um, so. Yeah but, yeah, but luckily, you know, we're not singing <laughs> okay. any high-pitched things. All That's right, true. all right. Let's get this show back on the road. Chris's face right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just saw what Rob posted, the fucking Blood Harvest photo. with Tiny. Rob, that is cursed. I'm not even afraid of Tiny Tim or that song, and I think that's fucked up. I have a bloody fucking murder clown on my arm, and I think that's fucked up. Okay, I'm done. Like, there are moments when I laughed. Mac, that's fucked. What the fuck are you doing, bro? Why are you terrorizing this terrorizing this woman? Spooky bitch had to research it. Yeah, she could have. you could have put that shit in spoiler tags, bro. Yikes. <laughs> you could have DM'd her. You could have anything. I'll, I'll delete it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You're never deleted. It's fine. You're Sean's right. I have to face my fears. It's fine. <laughs> but you did for your birthday. Uh, yeah. No, I know. I Yeah, but he's, but Sean is saying, did I overcome them? Which clearly I did not. So yeah, I'm just trying to help you out. Listen, I, I firmly do not believe in prolonged exposure therapy, but maybe that's my own trauma I have to deal with. All right. <laughs> All right we interrupted Chris. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I'm stronger than anything I'm afraid of. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> good that job, was, Rob. Good job. That was well phenomenal. Done. I think this was the arc he had in mind when he first brought this up. <laughs> I think so. He knew what he was doing. Wow. And I appreciate that. Wow. That was really good. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> it's just too much cheese. Wow. The cheese. I have a comment about that, though. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is I just want to, I have a question, not even so much a comment. A question, depending on the answer, it'll be a comment. Because, yes, it's cheesy, but I think that's the point, or that was what they were trying to allude to, regardless. So. It's loose uh, cheese. It's a lo- ew. <laughs> oh, God, ew. Um. Okay, if I want to survive with someone and the idea is take a horror movie character that I want to be pals with, definitely give me Laurie Strode. And I would still take Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, she's up there, but she's she's good. She's in good health. She can do some shit. Yeah. Like, I feel good about that pick. And then still take me, like, Michael Myers. If I had to face off against a horror movie character, choke me, please. I'm just, it'd be an honor. Nice. This is not the first time I've said this on this podcast. <laughs> Choke me, please. Done. It's a wrap. Love that for you. Yeah, what would that have looked like? Like one of the testicles flies up and pops in someone's mouth? <laughs> yeah, actually, exactly that. That would have been fucking great. Give me a little burpy ball shooting in someone's mouth. Sure. Not a burpy ball in someone's mouth. Burpy ball. Oh, goodness gracious. That's what, great. so it's fine when Sean says it, but it's not fine when I say it? <laughs> oh, it was just the burpy ball of it all. It's the burpy it ball was, of it all. It was great. It was great. It was great. It's like a marketable <laughs> item. Wait, before we move on, I just want to, there's, there's like a, 
as Chris likes to put it, a Venn diagram here, where she wants to be choked and then a burpee ball in, in the mouth. I'm just hold on. <laughs> Choked by Michael Myers specifically, if I have to be killed by anybody, that'd be the way to go. I don't want the burpee Uh balls, but I'm saying that in this movie, the moment would have been fun. Do I want a burpee ball (laughs) in my mouth? No. (laughs) God, I would hope not. Well, no one wants the burpee ball in their mouth, you know? Does anyone? To be fair. (laughs) Ideally not. You know, honestly, though, you know what? I'm not going to yuck someone's yum. Someone's probably into it. (laughs) Someone out there. That someone's not me. Obviously. Oh, good night, spooky bitch. That was the line. That was the after dark line. Yeah, yeah. Falling asleep to the wonderful sounds of us talking about balls (laughs) flying into the air (laughs) and into people's mouths. The flying and the magic. Oh, Jazzy, you missed everything. (laughs) Oh, oh man, what have I missed? Well, I gave you the recap just now. (laughs) You'll catch it in B sides. (laughs) The burpee ball. You'll catch it in B sides. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. I think what made that moment funnier for me is just thinking about, obviously, how absurd this whole thing is. But I was watching a lot of 911 and 911 Lone Star. And then to think about how these operators and these like 911 dispatchers and responders are giving like step by step instructions for things. So I was just thinking about how how hilarious it was to have this woman yeah. as if she's almost referencing a book. You're gonna take your penis and then insert it three inches into your anus. I'm just like, shit, it's great. Okay, I have the actual quote here and this is such gold. It says Oh yeah. So he's like, what wait a second, what was that right? And she goes, if you're able and so inclined, put your penis between your legs and into your anus. Then proceed to fuck yourself. If you're able and so inclined. <laughs> it's gold. It's great. Why wasn't that any of your opening quotes? Oh, I know. There was, oh, it was a lot. It's a lot for an opening quote. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been really, it would have been a lot, I feel like. Yeah. It's pretty jarring. Joke's on you when it's the show opener. I'm kidding. Obviously, it won't be. <laughs> you know, after about 240 episodes, I've gotten really good at knowing when Mac is lying. Because <laughs> as soon as you started that sentence, I'm like, this is too intricate. I'll I'll make sure to use more intricacies on some uh, mm-hmm, on some facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to really get down to the nitty gritty. Well, there you have it, folks. Bloodfest from 2018 has shockingly earned a universal slash. Now we certainly had a robust. <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of really throw it out there. It's every time that you say it, because like you're just like every every time that it's referenced that it's a universal slash. You're just as more shocked as the last time that you said it. 